Hi everyone, this is Graham Cowan and welcome to the Caring CEO podcast brought to you by WeCare365. We created this podcast because we believe that every leader's number one priority is to build a more caring and resilient team who enjoys growing together. It is my job to interview CEOs and other senior leaders who value building both a culture of care and a culture of high performance. I'm very keen to understand how they do this, and we hope there will be lots of insights for anyone who wants to build a high-performing team. Today's guest is Charlotte Lockhart, and she's a global expert on the four-day workweek. She is the co-founder and managing director of the four-day workweek global, advocating productivity-focused, reduced-hours work. She's also a board member of the Oxford University's Wellbeing Research Centre and co-founder of the World Wellbeing Movement. Her company has helped oversee four-day workweek trials in the UK, US, Canada, South Africa, Ireland, Australia, and New Zealand. Overall, over 250 companies and 100,000 staff have joined in these trials. Charlotte's model is 180-100. And what that means is you still get 100% of pay, you only work 80% of time, but you maintain focus on 100% of your previous output. The results show that 78% of participant employees are happier and less stressed, and 97% wanted the pilot to continue. From an employer perspective, 38% was the average increase in revenue compared to the previous year, and 63% found it easier to attract and retain talent. There are variations on the four-day work week, including the nine-day fortnight or five days with 20% less hours each day. This episode caters to those who are open-minded about the future of work and who desire a long weekend every week. This episode caters to those who have an open mind about the future of work and who desire to have a long weekend every week. Enjoy. It's a real pleasure to welcome Charlotte Lockhart to The Caring CEO. Welcome, Charlotte. Hello. Yes, I'm happy to be here. (laughs) And I'll add for our uh, listeners that this is a first for me. I'm actually doing the interview while Charlotte is driving in New Zealand. So uh, we'll see how it goes. And I hope that you get there safely, Charlotte. <laughs> I certainly will. Uh, you're on. You're on my. You know my Bluetoothy thing uh, in the car. So I am being com- legally compliant at the same time. What does care in the workplace mean to you? It's a really interesting and possibly quite complex question that really has a simple answer. Caring in the workplace. I have um, a phrase I use a lot where as business leaders, we need to remember that we borrow our people from their lives. When you think about that, it's about understanding that workers are part of people's lives. It's, you know, and and they are, it's a gift from them to share time with you and to do a good job while they're there. But we, you know, if we acknowledge the fact that you know, work is is a proportion of people's lives. But also, I think it it also reflects the fact that what is happening in people's lives is what they bring and is who they bring to work. And so if you're a caring CEO, if you're caring in the workplace, you are recognizing 
that people are made up of all sorts of things. And sometimes those are good things and sometimes those are not so good things. And as you know, if we're going to get the best out of our people, you have to take the good with the bad. It's a bit like a marriage. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because one of the people I've interviewed previously is Bob Chapman, and he's the CEO and chairman of Barry Weimiller, a very large and successful industrial manufacturing company in the US. And he had the epiphany when he actually went to a wedding and, uh, you know, saw the bride come down the aisle and and he just really thought, well, all the family, all her family are hoping (laughs) that the guy does a good job and vice versa and they have a happy life. And it made him reflect the same thing for his employees. And he has, I think, about 12,000 employees now. But he thought, you know, their family sent them off to work for eight or 10 or five hours a day and really hope that the group that has them looks after them and enhances their well-being and have them feel wanted and have them feel they're making a contribution. And uh, I, I, I love that. Uh, I love that perspective. Mm-hmm. You're known globally as one of the founders of Four Week Global. Would you mind just giving our listeners a quick overview about how you came to start this uh, this company? I think yep. about about five years ago. What led you on that path? Yes, so we, as people probably are aware, we did a four-day week in our company, Perpetual Guardian. My partner, Andrew Barnes, was reading an Economist article that was talking about the lack of productivity in the workplace. And for the UK, it was less than three hours a day. And he, it got him thinking about, well, what gets in the way of productivity. So he wasn't coming at it specifically from a well-being or a caring employer space. He was actually going, what gets in the way of my people being productive? And is it, if I gave people more time, would it mean that they could get the things that they need to do in their personal hours, in their personal lives, put together better so that when they come to work, they are more productive? And so that was the that, that was the, his thesis that he was he was looking at. But then, of course, as we started doing this, we began to realise that it actually made a major difference to people's well being. The first email from a staff member that he got was from a, um, a from a solo mother who said that he had basically just given her a, her life back because she was able to have a day where she got all of the life admin stuff done while the kids were still at school. And that meant that when they had the weekends together, she was much more relaxed, much more enjoyed the time with her children because she just doesn't feel like she was having to rush everything. So that wasn't about her productivity at work, but it was about her productivity and her happiness at home. And actually that email made Andrew cry when, when, um, when she he received it. And so I think that that's where we started. And, and there was a lot of media attention and a lot of businesses interested in um, in, in what we were doing uh, and a lot of academics and a few government people, not a lot back in 2018, but a few. And so we set up Four Day Week Global. It's a not-for-profit. We set it up more as a place to host those conversations and sort of start agitating for a change of the way that we work. And then we had a pandemic. <laughs> and <laughs> so through the pandemic, we we, we partnered with a, a team at Kickstarter to uh, actually create 
just an awareness campaign about reducing work time, about the four-day week. But I said to the team, "Mm, we need to be careful what we wish for here because if we create a whole pile of desire for this, people will say, well, how can I do that? We will actually need a process and, and, you know, effectively a business that will allow us to to provide that support. So now, four-day week global not only agitates and, 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 you know, and advocates for reducing work time, but we we provide training to companies around the globe uh, for to help them find a way to have a productivity focused reduced hour workplace. Just going back to the start of the creation of that uh, business, the four day week global. How obviously there was interest, but then committing to having a pilot or a trial is another thing. So, did you get much? pushback then? And what were the things that, I guess, helped get a few clients over the line to actually try it? Um, Look, I think before the pandemic, a lot of the employers or businesses were led by someone who was looking to maybe reduce work time for themselves. And so, you know, there's a little bit of self-motivation. If I'm going to do it, then I will, you know, I'll offer it to my people as well. But during and post the pandemic, of course, we all learned that we really do borrow our people from their lives and our understanding of the fact that we can significantly change our workplaces because we all went and did remote working um, and that we had to run our businesses without or necessarily all being present. I, I can I tell you what work you've done because I can't see you, but we learned how to get around some of that. And so therefore, as we've had the return to work conundrum being really focused on by pretty much every business around the world, the number of companies that are doing four-day weeks now has just gone completely exponentially. Now, also I might say, and you'll have heard me using the term reduce work time Mm. rather than the four-day week. We call ourselves four-day week global because that was kind of really where it started. But for a lot of businesses, it would just be impossible to reduce work time permanently Mm. on one day. That's one of the objections. I just can't close my offices on a Friday. And so the answer is don't try. What we're talking about is a meaningful reduction in work time. It might be 20%. We advocate for 20%. But you might start with a nine-day fortnight or you might just start with reducing work time during a five-day week. Um, What Perpetual Guardian does, where we started with all of this, when we did the pilot, most people took a whole day off. But now what we do is we let people find their own way of working a 30-hour work week. Mm. And that matters because the last thing you want to do is create a workplace where they feel that the way the time off is structured causes them stress. Oh God, I've got to get it all done before Friday. Otherwise, you know. Whereas I'd much 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 rather do it this way. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, of course, if you give people quality time off, then they're going to use it in the way that best suits them. So the example that I use a lot is that one of the team is a father, and he comes in five days a week at ten o'clock in the morning because he walks his daughter to school. Mm-hmm. Now we could give him a whole day off, and he'd be able to walk his daughter to school one day. But Mm. he wants to do it every day. He is able to walk his daughter to school every day, and that matters to him. And so when it matters to him, he works very hard to keep his productivity up. His team members 
also know that that matters to him and they value that for him because he also values the fact that there's an, another one in his team who finishes work early so he can collect his children from school. Yeah, yeah. And so therefore, as a team, you're always looking to keep your productivity up as a team so that you can all create this wonderful environment where you're being productive at work and feeling good about your work. Let's face it, we all feel much better about work when we know what our work is and that we can be productive while we're there. And so it's it's all of those things that add in together. It's interesting you you say that about the nuance of how it's applied because, um, you know, I've interviewed a couple of people on the podcast that have actually tried it and they're both recruiting companies, funnily enough. One tried it, worked for them, fantastic, and similar stories when the particularly mums heard about it, they actually cried, you know, hearing about the, the implication it would have for their lives, which was great. Yeah. Another recruitment firm tried the four-day week and didn't find that it worked quite right for them, but they found that a nine-day fortnight did, and so they tried Mm. that. And I think that's just really part of it, isn't it, having an open mind about how we can make that better. I love those two examples you gave where two fathers, one took the morning, one took the afternoon to have greater contact with their kids. And honestly, I just so regret that that possibility wasn't around when I was a father when I had younger kids it would have made uh, such a difference absolutely and if you know because one of the things about the time off for men of course is it gives us the ability to create a more gender balanced workplace Mm. women take time off anyway that's what we do Right. Uh, and we're, we're, I have to say, I was never as good at it as I should have been. But it is socially acceptable for women to be taking time out. Yeah. And we've done so much to pull women up in the workplace and to be generous to women about them taking time off and all this sort of thing is really a bit patriarchal, really. Um, but we haven't done enough to help men out of the workplace. Mm. And so one of the things about having a reduced time in a workplace is about making it possible and actually possibly forcing your entire organisation to it. So even the men, I say that very, very lightheartedly, but the men are given the same opportunities to feel that it is okay to prioritise their other things. And our research shows that there is an increase in uh, family fathers who spend more time not only just with their children, but also more with more household and, and family duties. And so, you know, if we want to be a caring CEO, if we want to have that, what we're recognising is it's not just about being nice to our people when they're at work, but actually accepting that we could be part of creating a better society. Mm. If you look at this father that's taking his daughter to school, here he is building this really strong relationship with his daughter. And we know that children and daughters particularly who have strong relationships with their fathers are healthier females when mm. they become when they grow up. They're healthier mm. women. Mm. So therefore, this is a thing that has given this gentleman an opportunity to give his daughter the best opportunity in life 
to be a good, stable, and emotionally put together woman. The other thing that he says, you know, so I'm just going to keep using this example because it's quite valid. One of the things he also says is, you know, his wife doesn't work for a four-day week company, unfortunately, or a reduced hour company, but she's able to get up in the morning and get herself out the door and not have to worry about all of the the things and so therefore her morning is a lot calmer it's better actually for their relationship because she's not as stressed with all of the rushing round and then he and he says if his daughter wants to play for a couple more minutes before they go out the door she can and so therefore the whole family the tempo of the family in the mornings is so much calmer that actually everybody's days are springboarded from that yeah it is um, amazing how the interest has grown so much. And, you know, I read about the big pilot that was done in the UK and I understand mm-hmm. that you were instrumental in that pilot. Would you mind just yes. explaining to our listeners about what was involved there and, um, and I guess the results, what was the outcome? So we run pilots all around the globe and our UK pilot, that one was our largest one at the time. We had just over 60 companies involved in that. So what does a pilot look like? A pilot basically is we you spend a couple of months before piloting on getting yourself structurally right for the task. So that means, you know, working through what are the things that you're going to do differently? Um, you know, how are you going to measure things? What are you going to measure? And just making sure that you've got the pilot set up properly. Plus also you do benchmarking for the research. So we've got this baseline level in our research that we are able to then measure you against as we move forward. What did we find? Well, so we found Obviously, that there are all of these um, well-being measures that where there's and so you know that's that's a taken as given. Um, people's stress went down, their fatigue went down, their ability to manage their workplace, to manage their jobs, uh, was improved. One of the things that I really liked was that their um, insomnia, sleep patterns improved. Their insomnia went down. And if you think about that as a well-being uh, measure, we know that the quantity and quality of sleep is actually a really big measure of how healthy you will be, not just mentally healthy, but physically healthy too. Mm. And it actually also means you might live longer. Mm. So there's all of that aspect of it. So there's all these, these lovely things that came out there. But what we also found was that there were a lot of business measures that actually make it viable and sensible and a good business decision to reduce work time. So you had things like absenteeism went down 65%. Wow. Now, if you think about that, how expensive is absenteeism in your business? You know, so for some of us, it's it's a it's just a bit of a pain in the ass, and but it does mean that you have to pick up the tab with someone else's work time and some you you know you're more stressed because you're having to do their job too. It could be, mean that you lose a client. It could be that you have to hire expensive agency staff. It could lead to the delay in a project. There are all sorts of business things that are impacted on that. Mm. Um, Recruitment costs go down because you can attract and retain the good staff. Now, 
you will have some of your bad staff leave because they don't want to be measured on yeah. things that um, focus in on their productivity. You know what? Go and let them work for your competition and you can draw in people who understand the way that you want to work, which is that you want quality work for the time that people are at work. It's quality, not quantity. And then they get to go home and enjoy being whole humans and whatever that looks like in their world. It's uh, at the moment very hard to attract good people to organisations at the moment. There's a surplus in demand. And I I saw that one of the results you found was that 63% 63% of businesses found it easy to attract and retain talent with a four-day yeah. week. So that's really a substantial benefit, isn't it? It's huge. They went on this particular pilot, but another pilot. But Atom Bank, um, their, their applications went up over 500%. And okay, fine. There's going to be a portion of those which are whole pilot people who were just trying it on, let's face it. However, it does mean that you are looking to bring in the people who actually want to have whole lives but also understand they want to give you quality work. And we've got to look at who are our employees. And so, and everybody's business has its own demographic in terms of the type of people that that work, especially over the age demographics. Um, You know, so you might have a, a workforce made up largely of boomers and, and exes. Well, we're all tired. We all want to work less because we worked far too much during the 80s and 90s and 2000s. We're all ready to go home, right? Mm-hmm. But then, but then you know, you've got the millennials and the Gen Zs. You know, and I have a lot of, a lot of um, employers say to me, oh, the young ones these days, they just don't want to work very hard. And I'm like, well, good. Mm. You know, they're busy naming, quietly quitting and great resignation. But you know what we exes and boomers named? We named burnout, mm. Mm. right? And and burnout's not a good thing. And these and the, and the millennials, they are our children. Yeah. They yeah. watched us yeah. burn out. They yeah. watched us overvalue work, overvalue it over our health, our communities and them. Yeah, we yeah. overvalued work over them, and they don't want that. And you know why we should want that for them? Why we should want them to work less because they are the parents of our grandchildren. That's exactly right. And so when we look back into this whole thing, we need to remember that we borrow our people from our lives. Well, they, you know, that from their lives. That those lives include the parents of our grandchildren, and so we should want a better world for them a better workplace offering for them as parents we always want our children to have better than we did and you know and that's been the case since since you know cave person days um you know so we have this situation where it used to be better food better health better education better opportunities better housing Mm. but in the 21st century all we're offering the 21st century child is more more food hello obesity epidemic Mm more housing really does everybody need their own bathroom yeah um you know and more education when it doesn't when we're just scrambling over each other for qualifications that actually don't increase our ability to do a good job yeah that education for education sake and sorry educational institutions I'm, I'm not bagging you but we actually need to understand that more isn't isn't better and the actual thing that our children only want more of is time. Yeah. Thanks for being part of the Care First movement. 
You may be interested in some free resources that we've prepared at wecare365.com.au. The first resource is a Building a Mentally Healthy Culture Checklist, which contains all the elements that you'll need to prepare and launch a mentally healthy workplace program and how to build momentum for up to a year after that launch. The second resource is how to support a teammate or a loved one in distress poster. This provides guidance about how to identify someone who's struggling, how to have the are you okay conversation with empathy, and how to guide them to the help they need. These resources can be found at wecare365.com.au. I saw a wonderful post, I think it was on LinkedIn, that said basically 30 years from now, no one will care how long you spent in the office except your children <laughs> and remember it and it's your children. Yeah. A lot of cynics will say that the bosses will just want work four days but do the same hours as as five days. And uh, you yeah. talk specifically about a 180-100 model. Could you explain yeah. that, please? Yeah, so the 180-100 model is actually a, it's a, a principle we developed re- really in response to a number of different things. One is if you don't have a workplace that works a standard work week, a five-day week, then actually you've got to have a, another way of measuring it. So we talk about paying people 100% of what they're earning now, letting them have an, the ability to work 80% of the time as long as they give 100% of the productivity. Mm. Now, what we're accepting in that and and what our research shows is actually time at work isn't productivity at work. The two things are not the same thing. Um, I can come to work for you 40 hours a week. If I don't do anything while I'm there, you're still paying me. I might not last long in the job, but if you're paying me for time as opposed to a productive output, then, you know, and so... It, it is about having that conversation. Yes, there are employers who do a 40-hour week, and there are some countries that have got some legislation and support this, that do a 40-hour week over four days or, or, or whatever might be their model. But the thing about that is that actually doesn't increase the productivity in your business at all. And so what you find is if people are doing these 10-hour days, their productivity goes down or they get all of the work done in the eight hours and then they're just basically sitting around for two hours. Yeah. And so, you know, back to your point about the recruitment company, there's a company that's been doing, a recruitment company that's been doing a four-day week since 2015. So three years before we even got on board with it. The chap that that runs that business is is, is a man called John Nash. And he found that when he set up his own business, he decided to do it on a four-day week because at his previous employer, there'd been a mother who'd gone off on parental leave, came back and was working four days a week and was just as productive. She then had a second child and was working three days a week and was (laughs) just as productive. (laughs) So he knew it could be done in recruitment. So he set himself up and he set himself up with a four day week with 10 hours a day. Mm. And he he very quickly learned that that extra two hours was meaningless. And so now they are still nearly nine, eight years later, still doing a a four day week. They're, They're closed on Fridays. And they continue to grow. They continue to improve um, even after all of this time. 
I read uh, recently that uh, Bunnings are trialling the four-day work week and, you know, they're a, a massive operation in Australia. They operate seven days a week. How are they making it work? Well, they're doing the 40-hour week over four days, right. though it's an optional thing. Yep. Now, see, the interesting thing about businesses like that is that when people work shifts, um, it's actually easier to change the way people work because you change the shift pattern. Mm. So it's not, there's a bit of logistics involved and possibly a little bit of IT, but they won't necessarily get any more productivity out of people with the extra two hours of the day. Um, but that is certainly, now, would I rather that a big organisation like Bunnings was at least trying different things? Absolutely. Would I like to encourage them to try to reduce to a 32-hour week while being able to keep people's pay at the levels that they are now? That would be something that would be worthwhile doing. But, you know, I, I am always of the view that I'd rather somebody started experimenting than stuck with what we've always done. How easy is it because, you know, the 100... 80, 100, the 100 is about identifying the outputs, the outcomes from a particular person. How hard is it for companies to identify that or for the person to identify what those outcomes are? Yeah, look, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, people, we get this question a lot. People go, well, how do I measure productivity? And I'm like, but what are you measuring now? Mm. <laughs> so when you do my performance review, um, what are you saying what are you looking at in terms of my performance in the organization mm. so so sometimes it's not necessarily about inventing a whole pile of new ways of measuring things sometimes it's about actually valuing what we already measure mm. and actually uh, encouraging that behavior supporting that sort of behavior but then there are other little things that you can look at um, that reflect. So one of the things, for example, we looked at with uh, Perpetual Guardian was internet usage. Mm. And, the, you know, the top five sites, the internet surfing went down 35%. Well, you know, that means that, um, that you know, that spending more time at home is more important than Facebook. Yeah. Um, so it's it's about... You know, a lot of the things that we do, Microsoft Japan, when they did their pilot yeah. in 2019, <laughs> right, they did three things. No more than five people in a meeting, no meetings more than 30 minutes, and please use Microsoft Teams more. Now, that's their own product, for goodness <laughs> sake. Now, also prior to the pandemic, when we, went, we weren't so big with our video conferencing, don't we all wish we had shares in Zoom? Um, but um, we do have um, more of a... Uh, environment where we look at the technology that we have in place already mm. and how do we enhance the usage of it. So sometimes that's a bit more training on Microsoft products um, yeah. Yeah. or it might be just turning on certain aspects in, um, you know, of, of software that we, that we already have, we just don't use. Um, it might be a case of looking at, so one of the things that um, is quite successful for companies who have shift patterns is actually looking at how you allow those shift patterns to be managed. Mm. So, for example, Gap um, managed to get a 15% increase in sales by providing an app that allowed their staff to juggle their shifts 
in the app and they didn't have that meant that they didn't have to have people um, involved in that process. But when people can adjust their shifts, they work better because they're working the shifts that they want. And if you think about an organization like Gap, a lot of their staff are students, um, they're young, uh, they've got a real life outside of work that sometimes impinges on their desire to be at work. Um, and so if you allow people to be able to manage their shifts themselves, then you get an increase in productivity. So it's it's those sort of things that so you're not you're not fundamentally changing anything in the business. You're just using the way the business works better for itself. It's really interesting what you described for Microsoft Japan that um, you know five people are meeting meetings take longer than 30 minutes. What other practices help people to transition to successful four-day-a-week where the outcomes remain the same? So what we coach businesses to do is to to actually run an employee-led program. And so what you're looking to do is have your employees look at what they do, how they do it, what they could do better themselves, mm. what support they need from you to, to do things better and to work collaboratively around how they can make change. Mm. Um, and so, you know, one of, one of the things that people often say was the best team building exercise that mm. they ever did. Mm. You know, people like working together to solve problems. Um, so that's the first thing is it's an employee-led strategy. It is not a C-suite. So the C-suite initiative, but the actual implementation has to come from your employees. All that the C-suite needs to do is just decide that they're going to make it work. But then, you know, then there are other things. Like, so, for example, um, at Perpetual Guardian, one of the, one of the things that happened is there's two offices um, in the South Island of New Zealand that have only two staff members. And uh, they're not that close together. Um, and they decided to pair up digitally so that their phone system was on a hunt system across both uh, both offices and things. And so, because of, obviously if there were two people in an office, that meant that two days a week, there would only be one person in the office. And then how do you manage leave time and sick time and you know all these other things? So their clients went from being serviced by two people to being serviced by four people. Mm. And they ran their time off in a way that meant that there was always a senior and there was always a junior on every day and they just organized their time off so that there was always that. So so now the worst case scenario for those clients was that there would be three people to mm. look after them, not mm. one. Yeah. So that makes a huge difference to, to organizations in terms of how they manage something like that. Yeah. I saw also that you were awarded in the top 50 of most influential companies by Time magazine. And that's an extraordinary... Top 100. Top Top 100. But yes, still. (laughs) Extraordinary achievement, especially when you've got 10 people. So you're obviously making a very, very big impact with what you're trying to do or or are in fact doing Mm. if people do a pilot and it doesn't work what what often goes wrong so first and foremost it's a people initiative not a c-suite initiative Mm -hmm. you know so sometimes what happens is uh the bosses get too prescriptive and not flexible enough in terms of how they're going to make it work Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's that's really important. The, letting the business determine how they're going to reduce work time from the shop floor is, is very important there. 
and also to run a pilot. Some organizations, they just decide they're going to do it. Mm. It's actually, no, the pilot is about finding the best way to do it mm. and being prepared to experiment with different things. So you might say, okay, well, we're going to start by doing Fridays off. But mm. actually, you know, what, maybe what if we had half the people off on Mondays and half people off on Fridays? Or what if we became a 30-hour work week and people just chose their own things? So the key thing is finding the best way to reduce work time for yourselves. Mm. And then also, we run pilots usually for six months, but not everybody pilots for six months. Some pilot for longer because they still feel like they need to sort out a few more details before they confirm it fully and things like that. So it really is a, a case of being flexible. Sometimes what happens is that um, a business will have something fundamentally change, like a pandemic. Um, but, no, but, you know, like losing a big customer or gaining a big customer. And so, therefore, sometimes for the C-suite, it's just trying to manage, their, navigate that is too hard. Uh, and then the other thing that happens is change of a, a change of leadership or change of ownership. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Private capital coming in. Uh, so we had one, one organization that did a really great job of their pilot program. And then private capital came in and went, no, nah, we're not having that. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, fine, you know, but yeah, so, so, so that sort of thing tends to happen there. But there's a lovely story in the UK. One of the companies that did the pilot program in the UK, um, not the one, not the one that was researched, but a, 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 an earlier pilot. <clears throat> and she, she, the way she describes, I think, is quite lovely. So she invited her people to do the four day week. That's how she describes it. I invited them in um, to do it, and they made a very successful job of it, and it was working all very well and fine. And then they lost their biggest customer. Mm. And she said at previous times, business been about when, when these sort of things happen, they've, the, they're, the standard response in business, of course, is to fire a whole pile of people, right? Yeah. And she said, actually, what she decided to do was she invited her people to come back to work five days a week so they could pivot the business. Mm. And they all came in and they digitized a lot of their product offering, their service offering. They um, made, they, they, they developed a whole bunch of new stuff. And so therefore they were actually able to then increase the number of clients that they could have. And so now they are not fully dependent on that customer style of having one or two big customers. They've now got lots of customers. What a great example of uh, reinventing the business and having the people involved to do that. It's uh, wonderful to hear stories like that. It makes a big difference. When you begin pilots, do you like sound like the UK one was recruiting a whole lot of people to do it over a period of time and then evaluate it? Is that typically how you do it in New Zealand or Australia? We do it. We run pilots in three different ways. We have three different offerings. We have a fully digital uh, offering, which, you know, if you're a small business, you just want to, you're pretty confident in your ability to make it work, but you just want some resources and some some help and be part of the community because we have a we have a, a, a digital community that everybody can be be part of and talk and share ideas. So we, so we have a digital offering. And then if you're a, a larger business um, or you want more hand-on um, and what sort of coaching and, and hands-on uh, process, then we have the group pilot programs, which is what uh, you have described there. And we've got an Australasian pilot program that will start in October. So if any of your listeners want to join in, we have the group pilot programs. 
And then we also have one-on-one coaching for businesses. So when the business is a little bit more complex or perhaps has external shareholders or anything like that, then then we have a consultancy process that we use for, for doing that. So you can, you can join a pilot program with us at any time because we've always got one running somewhere mm. in the world. Oh, wonderful. How do you practice self-care, Charlotte? Uh, well, so, so for your listeners who happen to know that I was driving uh, recently, <laughs> um, so Interestingly, one of the large, large Australian organisation that we are coaching at the moment, and I said to the leadership team, we had on our first session, we asked them um, what did they think their people were going to get out of it, and I said to them, um, to the next session, I'm going to ask you what will you get out of it, mm. and a number of people in that leadership team said the same thing as what I'm saying for you, is that they have older parents in care. And they would like to be able to feel that they can visit that person and not feel as if they're rushing, not feel as if they're squeezing in time with mum or dad um, into a busy life. And so part of my self-care is that twice a week I go and I spend the afternoon with my mum and I just she we just do whatever she wants to do, whether that be go out or go out for lunch or um or just sit around and do puzzles. And that really helps me bring the temperature of my life down. Mm. Um, because I am forced to take life at a different pace. So that's yeah. that's one of my self-care things. Yeah, and and um, I have an orderly mother as well and have always grappling that same thing. And uh, I'm fortunate I've got other siblings and she does have lots of visitors and all that sort of thing, but I really like that because uh, my children have left home. They're <laughs> independent, but mum certainly needs lots of support and loves to have visitors. So, uh, yeah. Well, and this is it. And, but it's also it's about my self-care. I like not feeling that I'm rushed. Yeah. I like, my, my, I've got siblings as well, and, and we're very lucky. There's a whole plethora of quite grown-up grandchildren. So that, so my mother has plenty of people around her, mm. but I want to know that when she passes, that I was there for her. Yeah. And that, that so it's a, so it's, there's, there is a bit of selfishness about it, but also it helps me take the pace down in my own life. It forces me to have some gentle time in my week. And Charlotte, how can people best find out about the services you offer? Oh, look, we're really easy. To, we're fourdayweek.com, the number fourdayweek.com. It's very easy to find. Then you can join it. There's a joiner pilot there that talks about all the different pilots that we have. But also on our website is all the research that we've done. Mm-hmm. So we've got a research release uh, for our uh, our last US pilot. So the Australasian research is already up there. That was our last re- release. We've got a, we've got a, our next US release coming out uh, in late July, um, and so as we d- add in more more research, we it, it's all there. So you can go and see what you're doing there. So so if you're a business a leader who's trying to make a decision about this and seeing if it's right for you and for your business, then there's enough information there. If you are um, not the decision maker on this and you're looking for some some tips around, so there is a bit of a how to convince your boss, but the research is the thing. You can go and you can say to your bosses, but look, the research shows that this is the thing. Yeah. 
So, um, so therefore, you know, people can make their own decisions based upon empirical research. It's just, we didn't make this up. It's, it's, you know, <laughs> it's, fully, it's fully validated university standard research. Yes. It, it, honestly, it's been just fantastic hearing about how you've prompted other companies to just really look at things. You know, it's always been this sort of one assumption. You have to work this many hours and, and you have to be here to do it. And to just challenge that status quo and to see that so many people have done it and that you've got the independent research that looks at outputs mm. and productivities and, and shows that, uh, you know, there's no loss here. In the case of Microsoft Japan, they even did a big increase in productivity, which is Extraordinary. Well, they got nearly 40% increase in their productivity. Yeah. But you know, but going back to the caring CEO thing, um, what wasn't widely published uh for their research was that they actually so they did the three things in work, but then they also did three things outside of work. And the three things outside of the work were what are you going to do for your community? What are you going to do for your family? And what are you going to do for yourself? Love it. I and love- so they got people to actively use the time well. And I think that that's also one of the things that's also very good for us all um, as uh, as humans is that is, is having a productive life, you know, and okay, fine. There are some people who use their fourth day to binge watch Netflix. I'm sure, you know, and that we'll all be guilty of, of having done a little bit of that when we're, when we're tired and burnt out. Um, But actually what happens when people trust that they're going to have this time is they use it in a way that fills them up much better. And so then the person that they are bringing to work is the person who is rested, who Mm. feels like their life matters, Mm. uh, who feels that the work that you offer them has meaning and has meaning to you and to them. And and they also feel like they've got they've just got a whole life, and that that's the person you are okay, creating an environment where better people come to your workplace. Yeah, that's a wonderful message that I just hadn't even thought of. That that added bonus of thinking thinking beyond the workplace, thinking beyond the family. Obviously, the family is essential, but just thinking about the difference it can make in the uh, in the community. Yeah. Knowing what you know now, Charlotte, if you could go back and give a message to your 18-year-old self, what would you tell that 18-year-old? Don't work so hard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look, I think that, um, um, you know, we we all like, I mean, you know, there'll be a lot of business leaders in this call going, but I really like working long hours. I really like working hard. And I've, I, you know, I've worked long hours. I mean, I've luckily, you know, spent a lot of the time when my children were were young, self-employed. So I was able to be a bit more flexible with my time. But I'd always liked that sense of, 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 of the long work week. But you know, it it hasn't been good for my health. Mm. And um, you know, I, if I had my time again, I would, you know, I would run that a whole heap differently. Mm. Thanks for being part of the Caring CEO, Charlotte. I've so enjoyed a different way of looking at work and how we work and where we work. And uh, we have to evolve like that. You know, we can't just stick to a model that's worked for the last 50 years and think that it's going to work going forward because it's a a very, very different workplace now. And thank you for being a four-day workweek evangelist. You know, your, your passion and enthusiasm for the concept uh, really shines through. So thank you. 
My pleasure. Thank you. It was lovely speaking to you. Thanks for joining us today. And we hope you've learned some practical tips that you can try with your team. If you've enjoyed this interview today, please rate us on your favorite podcast platform. We also welcome any comments. If you're interested in seeing more details about our simple, scalable WeCare365 mental health training programs, please visit us at wecare365.com.au. We strive to make these programs easily accessible, practical, and ongoing. If you've been impressed by a caring CEO you would like to see interviewed, please email us at support at wecare365.com.au. Thanks once again for joining us.